You're already recording on, on those, right? Okay. All right. Action. Good morning, Forest Baptist Church. It's good to be with you this Resurrection Sunday as we celebrate our Lord and Savior getting up from the grave. This morning, I want to read for us uh, for our call to worship scripture. Uh, Acts, the second chapter, verses 22 through 36. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Acts, the second chapter, beginning with verse 22. And the word of God reads as such. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus... God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And as we celebrate our crucified Savior being raised from the grave, may our hearts be filled with joy. May our hearts be filled with power and gratitude. Because what Jesus Christ had already accomplished. Let us go before the Lord and pray this morning. Our gracious and eternal Father, we do acknowledge your power, your preeminence, and your presence. We acknowledge that you are a good Father. You are a good God. You are faithful. Your love is steadfast and everlasting. And Father, even now, as we humbly approach your throne of grace, we just say thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Father, we thank you that he got up early Sunday morning with all power in his hand, able to rescue sinners such as ourselves and to reconcile us unto you, Heavenly Father. For that, we say thank you. And Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit, whom you have poured out unto those who have trusted in Christ, who have believed in him as Savior. And Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning, I ask that you would indeed prepare our hearts for worship, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, thank you for allowing us to see this day. Thank you for bringing us through another week. For some of us, Lord, we just thank you for bringing us through another minute, another hour, another day. But Father, even in the midst of the chaos and confusion, we know that you are still God all by yourself. You are on your throne. You are uh, mighty, and there's no one like you. Your sovereign rule comforts us, knowing that you do everything good and do everything well. And Father, as we prepare to enter to worship this morning, I ask that you would be with us, be with each and every member who is in their home right now, uh, whether 
This is being viewed on a laptop, on a cell phone, on the TV. Lord, wherever and however, I ask that you would use this, this means, this technology, this vehicle to bring glory to yourself this day. Father, we do love you and we do thank you for who you are. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory, all of the honor, and all of the praise. In the precious and matchless and mighty name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. Amen. Why don't you join us in worship as we sing songs unto our King. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He
And in his love, I forever die. Now he gave me joy in the place of sorrow. And he's my hope. Hope for tomorrow. tomorrow. He is the joy of my salvation. And I have a new determination. sacrifice that we may have liberty in Christ for whom the son sets free is free indeed amen well on this resurrection Sunday I wanted us to join together as a church scattered but to read the account of the resurrection from the gospel of John so if you would in your Bibles on your devices grab Grab them and turn to John's Gospel, the 20th chapter, and we'll be reading together verses 1 all the way down to verse 29. And again, we have these historical accounts just to remind us the depths of the love of Christ. The extent to which Jesus went in order to save sinners. His willingness to lay down his life that we would live in his name. So here in John the 20th chapter, beginning with the first verse. And the word of our God reads. Now on the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the tomb had been taken, the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple 
who had reached the tomb first also went in. And he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. And I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put, your ha- and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen, seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. May the blessing of our Lord Jesus Christ be upon those, even within the sound of my voice, who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and have been saved. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let us continue in worship through song.
I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood for me. God that Jesus got up and that because of his blood we have hope of an eternal life and fellowship with the Father in heaven. Amen, amen, amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Well this morning let's get right to it and dig in. If you would turn with me Back to the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter. This is where we will be spending our time this morning. And it's when I look at this account and when I think about the resurrection, when I think about Easter morning, it is a reminder that followers of Jesus are no strangers to chaos. I mean, just think about it followers of Jesus know what chaos looks like. Followers of Jesus know what it means to be in the midst of a crisis. Think about being a disciple of Jesus and for three years you, you, you followed Jesus, you, you sat at his feet, you, you dined with Jesus. He has been feeding you the word of God and then all of a sudden Just three days ago, the religious authorities arrest your master, your rabbi, your teacher. And not only do they falsely arrest him and accuse him, but they march him to Calvary, to Golgotha, and they crucify him. I'm sure after the crucifixion, it was nothing but chaos and crisis for followers of Jesus. Here they had left everything they had to follow Jesus and, and, and they would have done anything for Jesus. They thought that Jesus had come to establish his earthly reign immediately. But now he's dead. His disciples are now hiding in fear for reprisals from the Jewish religious leaders thinking that they would be next. Disciples of Jesus had their world turned upside down. This was a crisis of belief. This was a crisis of faith. But when we think about the crisis that the disciples were in at this very moment, we look to see how does Jesus respond to his disciples being in crisis. Beloved, Jesus responds to his disciples in times of crisis with simply the resurrection. In the the moment where they are, are most afraid, Jesus just got up out the grave. The resurrection was an incredible event for the life of disciples. Their world was turned upside down, but Jesus destroys the crisis and he takes care of the situation simply by his resurrection. Beloved, I don't know where you are this morning, but we need some resurrection power to come into our lives even today. When when we uh, think about how our lives have been turned upside down, how everything has changed, if we just pause for a moment and think about resurrection. We know everything could be taken care of because Jesus got up. The resurrection is is such a consequential moment of Jesus' earthly ministry. So important. And the resurrection is a consequential moment for you and for I some 
2,000 years later, the Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter and the 14th verse. And if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Paul knows that everything hinges on the resurrection. If Jesus did not get up, he cannot claim all authority. He cannot claim his rightful role, role as ruler and supreme. If Jesus didn't get up, then what are we doing? But I'm so glad that he got up. The events of the resurrection of Jesus reverberate through the halls of history forevermore. And here's the key. Listen, the resurrection expressly validates, authenticates, corroborates, and substantiates the exclusivity, centrality, and supremacy of Jesus. I say that again. The resurrection expressly validates, authenticates, corroborates, and substantiates the exclusivity and centrality and supremacy of Jesus the Christ. There has not, is not, and will never be anyone like Jesus. And for our time this morning, I just want to brag on my Lord. I just want to brag on Jesus as we celebrate the resurrection because I believe this is what the Apostle John is doing. He is helping us to see that there is no one like Jesus. This is his intent as he pens the following words in verse 30 and 31. Two verses for our consideration this morning. John, the 20th chapter, verses 30 and 31. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. May the Lord a blessing to the reading of his word. I would just like to place a tag upon this text this morning. No other name. Simply, no other name. Let us go before the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless our time together. Gracious and eternal Father, we do acknowledge that there is no other name. There's no other name greater. There's no other name as powerful. There's no other name filled with as much hope as the name of Jesus. And Father, we know that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that you are Lord, Master, and Savior. And Father, as we are the church scattered but gathered this morning to worship you on this resurrection day, we just thank you that you got up out of the tomb and you have all power and authority in your hand. We thank you, O oh God, for how you have you have called sinners. You have called the nobodies of this world. And you are bringing them into you to uh, people who were not a people. You are uh, calling to be a people. And for that, we say thank you. And Father, even in the midst of chaos and confusion, you are still on your throne, ruling and reigning because you are supreme. Now, kind Father, as we come to this moment where we will break forth the bread of life one with another, I ask that your word would go out and accomplish much within our hearts and minds. May you bring transformation to us from the inside out. May we love Jesus more today than we did yesterday. And after hearing your word, may we love you even more. Father, I ask that you would hide me behind your cross. That you would take my weak and foolish words and use them for your glory, for your honor. And for your name's sake. And Father, I pray that your, your word will indeed set captives free today. We love you and we thank you. In the precious name of Jesus the Christ we do pray. Amen. Amen. You know, the words of the apostle Peter should ring true for us even today. In Acts, the fourth chapter, 
Peter and John are before the council. They've been interrogate, uh, interrogated because of their faith in Jesus. And with boldness that only comes from the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter says before everyone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name. There is life by no other name. There is freedom by no other name. There is truth by no other name. There is wisdom in no other name. And there is hope in no other name but Jesus. One must believe in the name of Jesus in order to inherit eternal life. Beloved, believing Jesus is who he says he is is the most important theme here in the Apostle John's gospel. And it is magnified to the point that it reaches this crescendo here in this gospel's purpose statement. In verse 31, he writes, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's words could be summed up like this. Salvation is in no other name because there is no other named Christ. Salvation is in no other name because there is no other named Christ. Many have come and many have gone declaring that they are the way and the truth, that if you listen to them, that you will be on a highway to heaven. But time after time after time after time after time, Jesus shows us that everyone else is just fake prophets, they're phonies, and Jesus Christ is the real thing. And that's part of the problem we have in our world because we act like there's another who has the power to save us. And we treat this world like she actually has enough strength to, 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 to make us happy, to, to keep us and to sustain us. But our problem is the world constantly offers up these many messiahs in hopes of distracting you and distracting me. This is all a, a ploy. This is a plot by Satan to, to keep you from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. Satan wants you and I and this entire world to continue to be entangled in sin, separated from the goodness of God, our, our master and the creator of the universe. See, the message of John's gospel is clear as you read through it and you see the summary statement. And his message is simply this, sinners need a Messiah and there is only one. Jesus alone saves. I don't know who you're, who you're looking to for salvation. The person that you think about most in the morning uh, when you first get up. The person that you're more likely to call when you're in trouble. We look so many other places for salvation. But John is, is pleading with us, pay attention because there is only one Messiah. There is only one who saves and his name is Jesus the Christ. For this here in the text, really just two points I want to lay out. And the first thing that he does, he gives evidence to this fact that Jesus is the only one. And uh, the apostle, he directs his readers to the signs Jesus rendered. Here, salvation is in no other name because there is no other evidence. No one else has the evidence like Jesus does in order to be called Messiah. Verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. If you would, turn with me just one chapter over to John, the 21st chapter, verses 24 and 25. It reads, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself cannot 
contain the books that would be written. He's saying that there is so much evidence to the fact that Jesus is the anointed one of God, that he alone brings salvation, that no one else can make that claim. If we were in a court of law, John is saying, and, and, and he was being, he was being uh, questioned by the, uh, by, by the prosecutor. His defense wouldn't be his ability to obey. His defense wouldn't be his eloquence. His defense wouldn't be anything that he would bring to the table. He would simply point to Jesus and say, look what he has already done. Is he not our Savior? And in a court of law, His eyewitness account would stand up. See, within the gospel narratives of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four are the accounts of Jesus' life, his work, and ministry. But within these gospel narratives, we have recorded some 40 different and particular and specific miracles of Jesus. Again, there are so many things that Jesus had, uh, had, had done that there would not be room for all of those, all of those uh, actions to be recorded. But we have some 40 even before us. And each miracle in some way reveals the divine authority and assignment of Jesus. These signs that John is talking about here They are miracles that point to the unique identity of Jesus. These signs are are almost like a a signpost with arrows pointing to who Jesus is. These signs are indicators and evidence of who Jesus is. He is who he says he is, and he did what he said he would do. Here in the Gospel of John, we have recorded signs all throughout In chapter 2, we see that Jesus turns water into wine. In chapter 4, we see that Jesus is able to heal the official son. In chapter 5, Jesus heals the lame man who had been at the pool for a number of years called Bethsaida. In chapter 6, Jesus, he he just, uh, as the creator and sustainer of all things, he just multiplies bread out of thin air and feeds the 5,000. Also in chapter 6, we see Jesus cannot be stopped by mere water, but he is the authority over all of the elements. And he gets out of, and the the disciples look as he is out on the water walking. In chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who had been blind since birth. And in chapter 11, Jesus calls Lazarus by name and he gets up out of the grave. We have all of these signs and accounts that Jesus just, he's just no regular dude. He is someone special, something that is different from what they had encountered all of their lives. And here in chapter 20, we have the climax of all of those signs, the creme de la creme, Jesus' resurrection from the grave. These are all signs pointing to the fact that Jesus is not extraordinary, he, uh, not, not ordinary, Jesus is extraordinary. He's no mere teacher, he's no mere wise man, he's no mere good person, but he is from heaven. This is like the evidence Moses brought to Pharaoh. Whenever Pharaoh would Whenever Moses would bring and do a, a, a miraculous work in front of Pharaoh, uh, his magicians would, 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 would try to duplicate it. And at first, they were able to uh, sneak into scheme and to make it seem like they could do the same things as Moses. But it got to a point where the magicians of Pharaoh just could not keep up. And in this world, there are many who would say that they, they are like the Christ or they are the one who has salvation. Or you look to them and you will be saved. But at, when, it, when it really gets down to it, the evidence will clearly show that only Jesus can save. Salvation is in no other because there is no other evidence. But then also, the Apostle John here, he says, salvation is in no other because there is no other gospel. D. 
the euangelion, the, the good news. There is no other gospel. There is no other good news to be found in anyone in this world, past, present, or future. And like I said, Jesus is unlike any other. In verse 31, uh, John tells us why Jesus is like no other. He's like none other because Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. This word Christ has so much meaning. It is pregnant and packed with theological uh, uh, importance. Because since Genesis 3.15, God promised that one would come to crush Satan's head. That one would come to redeem the people of God. That one would come and set things in order. This Christ, uh, Christos in, in the Greek, but in the Hebrew, is the title of Messiah. This is the title of the office that Jesus came to appropriate to himself. Like a robe, he puts this, this identification on in order to fulfill and accomplish everything that God the Father has set forth. Be mindful, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is his office. It is his title. Messiah, the word itself simply means anointed or anointed one, and uh, originally defined, it would mean to, to, to spread out oil over top of. It would mean to, to saturate with, with an oil. That's what this word Messiah means. And this term, was, it refers to, uh, to anointed persons, people who have been elected, designated, appointed, given authority, they are qualified and equipped for specific offices and tasks related to those positions. So when we look to the Old Testament, so many times we see that uh, a person would be anointed with oil in, or, in order to set them apart, to be consecrated, to do the work that the God has laid before them. And ultimately, this word Messiah came to be known as the fulfiller of Israelite expectation of a deliverer. This Messiah was to be a royal redeemer. Think about back in the Old Testament, we have many types of Messiah. Moses, no, uh, Noah is a type of Messiah, rescuing the people uh, and, and, and perpetuating the, 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 the line of, of, of Shem, uh, of Seth. And, and allowing God's people to continue to be on the earth. He is a redeemer. Abraham is a type of Messiah. Instituting a nation by his obedience to God. Moving to a certain location. Being promised land. Joseph is a type of Messiah. Here we have Joseph who is humiliated for many years of his life. But he, ra he, he, he raises up to prominence there in Egypt, and rescues his people. Moses is a type of Messiah, speaking with God face to face, delivering the word from God to the people and instituting the law which separates the people of God from everyone else. David is a type of Messiah, his kingly uh, 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 rule over all of, uh, all of Judah. He is the king that that God himself that would always have one on the throne. These are all types of Messiah. But yet within these Old Testament types of Messiah, we, we see a pattern emerge. Those anointed for these special assignments were pretty much prophets, priests, and kings. The prophets showed up on the scene, and they were to function as messengers of God. They were to take whatever word God gave them and deliver it to the people. If it was a, a word of rescue, they, they, he would go and, and give that to the people. He was only the, the, the messenger, delivering only what God said, giving hope to the people of God many times when they were destitute calling the people of God to repentance because of their sin. These prophets 
were so important to the life of Israel and how they would be obedient to the will of God. But not only did we see prophets, but we see priests. And priests in the Old Testament were the very people who stood as mediators between God and the people. It was on that, that one day of atonement that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to deal with his sin and the sin of the people before a holy and righteous God. He acted as mediator, making sure the people knew the word of God and were acceptable to God because he dealt with their sins in front of God. But thirdly, we see the special assignment of kings to establish authority and to be master over the people. God would use kings to keep the nation and to uh, oversee the nation. So these roles of prophet, priest, and king, these are all types of Messiah in the Old Testament. Now, looking towards the New Testament, what was anticipated in the Old Testament arrives in the New Testament. For we see in the New Testament, we don't just have types of Messiah. We have the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Jesus himself, he is the perfect fulfillment of prophet, priest, and king all rolled up into one. As prophet, Jesus came and he spoke on behalf of God. Every single thing, uh, word that God gave him to deliver to the people, Jesus gave it to the people. In John, the 12th chapter, in the 49th verse, Jesus himself says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. Jesus serving as prophet for the people of God. But not only that, Jesus serves as the, the priest for the people of God. Standing in the gap for the people, uh, 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 inextricably linked between God and man, bringing these two uh, enemies together through his body. 1 Timothy 2.5 shows us how Jesus functions as priest. He says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. But Jesus, he's not only prophet, he's not only priest, but Jesus serves as our king. Because when he comes into town, people say, ah, we have not seen anyone teach with such authority. He is speaking as if from God himself. He wasn't just repeating what he heard. He was delivering with authority from on high. And we see that Jesus was able to rule and to reign here in Matthew, the 28th chapter, in the 18th verse, where it says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Sounds like a king to me. He has all authority to rule and to reign. Jesus is the Messiah. There is no other name. In every way, Jesus demonstrates that he is the greater Messiah. Jesus, he's greater than Adam. He's greater than Noah. Jesus greater than Abraham. Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater than David. He's greater than Solomon. He's greater than Isaiah. He's greater than Jeremiah. He's greater than Jonah. He's greater than Zerubbabel. Uh, Jesus is the great Messiah, not just the type. Every other type was just a foreshadow of what was to come in the personal work of Christ Jesus. But beloved, though he wears the same mantle, there is none other like him. Because when Jesus says he's greater, he says, uh, not only uh, did the people receive the pillar of fire, I am the pillar of fire. And not only did the, the people of Israel receive the manna from heaven, I am the manna from heaven. I am the bread of life. And not only do the people of Israel receive water from the rock, Jesus says, I am the living water and the solid rock. And Jesus says, uh, uh, though they, they lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness to deliver the people, he says, I am that bronze serpent because if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw men, women, boys, and girls unto me. Jesus is greater 
Because he doesn't just have the title. He doesn't just have the office. Jesus is not just a deliverer. He is the manifestation of deliverance. Jesus in and of himself is deliverance. How come when we're in uh, tough times, all you have to do is call out the name of Jesus and it makes all the difference? You don't have to run to a person to run to a thing or try to figure out what, just how to say your prayer to God. All you have to do so many times is just holler, Jesus. And deliverance is in the middle. He is the manifestation of deliverance. Jesus is greater because Jesus is not just a messenger. He is the message. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the text goes down to John 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is not just a mediator. He's the mediation. John the Baptist says, behold. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world. Jesus laid down his life. He was the very source of mediation in his body and in his blood. Jesus is greater because he's not just a master. He is the majesty. The word of God reminds us, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. He's not just master. He is the majesty. Jesus. Jesus is greater because Jesus is the Son of God. And here in the text, the Apostle John, he, he's just laying out before us a plain gospel presentation. Because when you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, when you believe in him, you may have life in his name. Is this not the gospel? Is this not good news? That, that no matter where you came from, no matter where you've been, no, no matter what, what weight and what monkeys you have on your back right now, that simply believing in Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, you may have life. Is that not the good news? The fact that though you were born separated from God because of your sin, that one would come down 40 or so generations in order to redeem sinners such as ourselves through his body and blood. Jesus. There's no other name. John's gospel, this entire gospel, this entire book is both for edification and evangelism. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we should be encouraged today because our Savior got up and he, he rules and reigns in all victory uh, in, in heaven right now, interceding on your behalf. And you know that no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance, if Jesus got up, can't nothing stop the people of God because Jesus got up. But if you're listening and you never repented of your sin and trusted Jesus for salvation because you didn't believe that he could save you. If Jesus got up, he can deal with your sin. There's no other way. There's no other name. John 14 and 6, Jesus says himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. The good news of the gospel is here, it's plain. The Apostle Paul reiterates this, this good gospel in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verses 3 and 4, where he says, I, For I delivered unto you that which I first received, that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Beloved, the Scriptures are before you today. Will you believe. There's no other name because there's no other way. 
Jesus Christ alone is the way of salvation. And for us this morning, this Resurrection Sunday, this is good news. Because if Jesus got up, he has victory for those whose life, who, who have laid down their lives for him, raised to walk in the newness of life. So what do we do with this resurrection? Today, I, I encourage you just a few things here. If, 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 if the resurrection is to impact your life, then you need to lay down your many messiahs. Those, those things that you're holding on to, clinging to more than you cling to Jesus. The, the people, places, or things that you run to when times get hard, when times get tight. The, the, the very things and people we think will save and rescue us but have no eternal power. Jesus is saying today, just as I lay down my life, you need to lay down your life and lay down these many messiahs and let me be your savior. Lay them down today. And secondly, this is what the Lord was dealing with me even this week. From the words of the Apostle John, we need to no longer take Jesus for granted. Oh, we take Jesus for granted. We take the resurrection for granted. We take the incarnation for granted. We take his miracles and signs for granted. We take the fact that Jesus stood in our place as the substitutionary atonement. We take all of that for granted and we act like we can do this life without Jesus. But, but beloved, never forget we are who we are, the people of God, because of the shed blood of Jesus. No one and nothing else. He deserves all the credit. He deserves your love and affection today. Lay down your many messiahs. No longer take Jesus for granted. But lastly, choose life today by choosing no other name but Jesus. The Apostle John summarizes it for us. Salvation is in no other name because there is no other name, Christ. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the hope we have in Jesus, the Christ. Your anointed, who have taken upon himself the mantle of Messiah and has fulfilled every promise for those in need of reconciliation with the Father. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Christ. And Father, I pray that you would impact us in a mighty way. That we will lay down our many messiahs. That we would no longer take Christ for granted. And that we would choose life today in the name of Jesus. So, Father, thank you. I pray that your word will go forth and accomplish much. And we will be careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all of the praise. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen.